Welcome to the Two Cities Podcast, a podcast about theology, culture, and discipleship. And this is episode 186. In this episode, we're talking about the Minor Prophets and Children's Bibles with Dr. Brian Wright. Dr. Brian Wright is a church planting pastor in Pensacola, Florida, who studied under Mike Bird for his PhD in New Testament at Ridley College in Melbourne, Australia. And he is the author of the children's Bible series, God's Daring Dozen, published by Christian Focus, which is a series on the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Team members on the episode from the two cities include Dr. Chris Song and myself, Dr. John Anthony Dunn. So this conversation with Dr. Brian Wright was a lot of fun talking about children's Bibles and specifically the Minor Prophets, which are so often neglected from children's Bibles. But to hear about this interesting series that he's working on and overseeing uh, that focuses on the Minor Prophets and tries to communicate their message to children and to do so in creative and fun ways, but to not lose the kind of robustness and the substance uh, of it from an academic perspective. So it was really uh, wonderful, I think, to hear some of uh, the behind the scenes work that he's done on this project. Chris, what were some of the takeaways that you had from our conversation with Dr. Wright? Uh, it was a great conversation. And um, I think he does call out at least not 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 directly, but to me, uh, the gap of knowledge on the Book of the Twelve. And um, I think uh, a lot of people might be guilty of not having a firm grasp on what, what the Book of the Twelve, what these 12 minor prophets do and uh, their place in scripture. So I was, you know, really, uh, really glad to at least have a conversation about about that and and how to address that. I think uh, for me, a big takeaway is um, the importance of reading together uh, with other people. I think that that's um, not only how Scripture itself presents how how the Bible is read, um, but I think it's uh, just really good practice uh, for believing believe in Christians to to read scripture in church, read scripture together, to ask and answer questions together. Um, and I know that that's, a, that's an important part of uh, Dr. Wright's own work. And um, I think it's, a, it's, it's really good wisdom for all of us to hear. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a review. And you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or visit us at our website at thetwocities.com. And with that, Here's our conversation with Dr. Brian Wright. Well, Dr. Wright, thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. So we're really excited to talk about the series that you've been working on, God's Daring Dozen, uh, this this uh, children's book series on the Minor Prophets uh, can you tell us a little bit about this series, how you got started working on it, and and what exactly you all are doing with this with this series? Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you know, one of the things I thought of doing, actually, that might be a good uh, segue into why this series, was to maybe give your listeners uh, a little pop quiz and see how much and how well they know the Minor Prophets. And so, if that's all right with you. Oh, that's very much all right. That sounds fun. We yeah, that sounds like a great idea. You know, John, we don't do a lot of pop quizzes on the podcast. We should do it. I'm just going to ask the questions and then uh, I'll give a, just a, a brief moment of pause and then I'll give the answers. But hopefully they'll be thinking, do they know the answer to the questions? And so 
So the first question is this, which two minor prophets have several Psalms attributed to them in both the Septuagint and the Latin Vulgate, meaning the, the subscriptions? And so the answer is Haggai and Zechariah. Which minor prophet's voice changed Hezekiah's heart? It's Micah. Which minor prophet is known as Jeremiah's spiritual father due to how many clear links there are between them? Hosea. Which minor prophet, this might be the, easy, the easiest one of the bunch, which minor prophet only preached one single verse in his entire book? Probably some of your listeners know it's Jonah. So Jonah. Well, which minor prophet is actually compared to Isaiah in terms of rhetorical eloquence and power? Micah. What about this one? Here's, here's a... Some of your listeners may know uh, some history. Uh, which minor prophet did the famous rabbi say this about it in the Jewish Talmud? Moses gave Israel 613 commandments. David reduced them to 11. Micah to three. Isaiah to two. But this minor prophet to one. The righteous shall live by his faith. Habakkuk. Which minor prophet concludes by looking forward to the coming of the prophet Elijah, who Jesus identified as John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11? Again, that might have been a softball for some of your listeners. That's Malachi. That's how it ends. So, well, which minor prophet is the most frequently cited portion of the entire Old Testament in the Passion narratives? Zechariah. All right, two more. Which minor prophet did Martin Luther King Jr. quote from during his famous I Have a Dream speech? <laughs> That's right. I see uh, Amos. Last one. And here's and I'll even give an extra credit after this one. Which minor prophet is front and center when you walk into the Sistine Chapel right above the altar? It's Jonah. But here's the extra credit. What other two minor prophets did Michelangelo depict on the ceiling, given their strong prophecies of the coming Messiah? Joel and Zechariah. And so that little pop quiz to just kind of set up, uh, you know, I don't know how, you, how many of your listeners did well on that. But what I've found is a lot of people don't really know the minor prophets. Um, but at the same time, it's an inspired portion of our Bibles that is very important um, for us to know. And so today, minor really has become of minor importance, but that's never been the case. Uh, they are minor just because of their length, as you know, and many of your listeners know. But one of the reasons why we felt the need to have a series like this is actually I started seeing it become Christian satire. And so I don't know how many of your listeners uh, you know, might follow sites like the Babylon Bee or others where they're often making fun that nobody knows this portion of their scripture. And so, for example, I remember uh, one, uh, one Babylon Bee post, it was, you know, man discovers Nahum in, in his Bible. Or another one, when they did, uh, you know, they gave one sentence for every book of the Bible. When they came to the minor prophets, every minor prophet except Jonah said, uh, minor prophet who's not Jonah, feel free to skip. Minor prophet who's not Jonah, feel free to skip. And then once they got to Jonah, the funny thing was it said, uh, you know, the, the asparagus pirates get on the boat. So it's basically veggie tales. 
So it just shows that most people don't know this, this neglected portion of their Bible, and it's even Christian satire that nobody knows it. So those were some of the reasons why, as we were teaching through it, as I was teaching through it, I saw a need. You know, it's not just adults and educators and, that don't know these books. Children certainly don't. And so we really wanted there to be a series available to children because there's never been a children's picture book series on the Minor Prophets, ever. Hmm. That's amazing. I love that. I love the quiz. That was that was really helpful. And I love the Minor Prophets. I have to say, I took multiple classes on the Minor Prophets uh, as an undergrad and, and in seminary. And so I, it really does pain me to hear how neglected these texts are. In fact, uh, at my church, we did a series a handful of years ago called The Books We Don't Read or something like that. And I, I was uh, one of the... Um, people preaching in that series. And I, I didn't love the the title of the series. Uh, you know, it was chosen for me kind of thing. Uh, but, but it, it was, yeah, meant to reflect a lot of that satire that you were, um, referring to and, and to try and, uh, ameliorate it, right. To try and kind of fill that gap a bit and make these texts that we do read. That was kind of like the focus. And it is unfortunate that if we do know the minor prophets at all, it's Jonah, like you mentioned, uh, and there's so much richness to the minor prophets. I love, I love the minor prophets. Amos, Amos is my favorite, uh, in particular, but, um, you're a new Testament guy. You have a PhD uh, yeah. in the new Testament. What's a Neu Testamentler doing in the minor prophets? That's right. Well, one thing I just want to let people know, New Testament scholars still do love the Old Testament. So that's that's one thing. Um, actually, I have five kids and all five of them are named after people in the Old Testament. And so I figured I had to balance myself out New Testament and Old Testament. And so uh, but no, I, I've you know, again, the, the prophecies of the Old Testament, as we'll get into here in a little bit uh, of how important it is to know again, the foundation and where this comes from and the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. So and, and even to, to note as not just it becoming Christian satire, but as I looked in other children's books, um, and again, there, there's so many of them out there. And again, they're good. They all have they all have what they're good for. But again, you see this portion neglected. And so so, for example, you know, may, maybe your listeners know, like the Jesus Storybook Bible or, you know, Crossway's got uh, the big picture story Bible or. The Promises of God or the Beginner's Bible or even the Action Bible, uh, you know, if you've seen the Action Bible, you know, even Kevin DeYoung's new The Biggest Story Bible, he gives probably the most coverage of any children's book that I've seen on it. He, he uh, gives a separate chapter to five of the 12 minor prophets, and actually he gives two to Amos, so he's probably right there with you, John, on really liking Amos because that's, that's an important one. Um, but even when you get the only one, as you mentioned, with Jonah, that's, you know, there's a number of ones on Jonah that have been done, but none of them are going to have chapter four, right? So, you know, they're, 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 there's just things that are left out. So it's not just that that they're not covered, but even when they're covered, they're just given, a, a, a you know, the bits and pieces that maybe they think the kids will love about, you know, a whale swallowing man. So, but uh, again, to say, how does a New Testament guy love it? I, I think just seeing the importance of, the minor prophets and just the prophets in general, prophetic literature in the New Testament. You can't read the New Testament without understanding there's prophetic literature that it's based on. And so Paul said, all scriptures inspired by God, including the minor prophets. Um, same thing when Jesus, uh, you know, was with the men on the road of Emmaus, he'd say he turned to the prophets. I mean, he's going to show that's all of them. So they're no less inspired than, you know, Malachi is no less inspired than Matthew or you know, Michael Mark or 
Haggai Hebrews <laughs> to give alliteration. Thanks, Brian. Thank you also for not putting us on the spot on that pop quiz. Okay. <laughs> uh, that would that was very classy of you. Um, <laughs> I, I, I'm not sure how you did, John. I, I'm going to say I did a, whatever is less than strong to very strong, a, a tick below that. Uh, but um, <laughs> so uh, as somebody that uh, didn't ace that quiz, <clears throat> uh, maybe you could give us um, some some very quick hitting thoughts on on what what the what the book of the twelve what these what these twelve prophets uh, are doing sort of in scripture are there are there themes are there um, big points that that bring them together are they are they sort of a, a range of voices or are there ways that we could sort of look at this this group as a whole. Yeah, and I think great question, Chris, and I'd say both. I mean, certainly there are some themes that run through the prophetic literature, the day of the Lord. I mean, it's most prominent in in ones like Joel, but I mean, you see elements in different parts. You see a prophecy of a coming one, a coming Messiah, an anointed one in, in several that, you know, I'll give you some more specifics, but just a general answer to your question is, there are some of those, but but I think also we need to deal with each one individually because there's specific things that each one are doing that are very important. And that's one of the things that we know biblically and canonically, but we also wanted to replicate or to show in each individual volume uh, of this series. So we wanted it to stand, each one to stand on their own right and say, what is this message? And so, for example, if I were just even, you know, say one of the one of the, um, as we've gone and, and spoken in several different uh, venues and places about this minor prophet series, and we share some of the details, a lot of people are like, where do we get all these details? Because you're just going to read, read the, 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 you know, the children's book, but you're not going to know all the things that, that are behind it. I'll give you a couple examples that, that piggyback on your question. So for example, like if there's a theme or if there's a word, if there's a phrase that's in the minor prophet, we wanted to replicate that. So for example, you know, the word great appears in Jonah multiple times. I think it's, and again, nine times. So we wanted that same word to appear multiple times in the children's book. Great, 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 great. Because we wanted to, that, that word that they can start seeing. We wanted themes, the day of the Lord, like in Joel, to occur and occur and occur and occur, because that's a major theme of Joel. Um, where you have more direct speech from God, like um, like in Nahum, we wanted to reflect that in the children's book. So we wanted these children's books to really almost even prompt their excitement to go back to the text, right? So these are just kind of a supplement to get them excited to go and to see the historicity of these books and the importance of these works and how they all point to Jesus. And so each book in its own right, as that prophet uh, you know, has given that prophecy, we want to show that connection. And not all of them do it the same way. I mean, they can they can refer to something like a lineage, like the signet ring. Well, that's how one of them's going to one of them's going to point to Jesus. Another one might do it, you know, um, so in, in various ways. And so that's what we wanted this series to match was how did each one do it? But then as you're reading through them all, you're going to say, oh, there's there's some some uh, similarities in, in some of what they're dealing with. So could you tell us then you have basically a book on on each of the minor prophets, right? So there's a book on uh, Amos, for example. There's a book on on Jonah that 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 people could uh, could purchase. Absolutely. So each one you could purchase individually, or they're being sold as three box sets. Each one having four volumes in the box set, and so but each one is going to stand in its own right, and you're going to get the story of that minor prophet. 
And so from, and just to give a few more of the highlights so, so that your listeners will know, like even down to the names, like, so for example, uh, the name Haggai's Feast. Well, Haggai's name means my feast or festive. And so we wanted everything to point to scripture. And, and so people are learning the book, even if the kid remembers nothing else about the book, but they remember the title, they've learned something about the book, right? And so down to the colors. So even as, as the color of Obadiah is red, well, why red? Well, this story goes back to the Edomites. Where do the Edomites come from? Esau, where does Esau? So we wanted everything in this series to really be, even to the point, and I'm gonna share this, is so our illustrator, and we got a wonderful illustrator uh, that she requested an inspiration board when she started to read these. She's like, I think what I'd like to do is why don't you send me as inspiration archaeology, like pictures of these things so I can artistically, you know, with cre creatively artistically render them. So, for example, when you're going to look in some of these uh, works, you're going to see like the Babylonian gate. If you were to Google Babylonian gate, this is going to roughly be what it looks like in the book. If you're going to see a candle, it's roughly going to be what candles would have looked like during this time. When you see some of the things that they would wear, some of the things that they would, so everything about this, we wanted to really ground it in archaeology. We wanted to ground it in historicity. You know, there's one that they actually re uh, required us to put a, um, not a footnote because children's books don't have footnotes, but put a little blurb at the beginning of, which is, which is Haggai's, at the beginning of the, in the front matter, it says, the dates of Haggai's messages have been converted by biblical scholars and historians to correspond to modern calendars. They remind us that Haggai was a real person who really spoke these words to God's people on these specific days, because they fear that when parents open this up and they started reading this book, if they don't have a background in it, and, and we say something like, on, on August 29th, Haggai delivered his first message. Well, how do we know August 29th? Well, because the text tells us, right? And so those dates have been converted. So we have the Hebrew telling us exactly the date. And so we wanted everything to really be matching and help people, help parents, grandparents, educators understand these books as they're communicating to the children. Right. It sounds like a feature of, of these books. Uh, you mentioned uh, how, how the texts and the prophets are pointing to Jesus. Um, and so it sounds like that's a distinctive of 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 what you're putting together can you say a little bit more about that as 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 sort of a principle for for reading the prophets absolutely i think you know we want to look at how scripture points to christ uh so as we're reading in the old testament as they're pointing to a coming messiah as they're pointing to the one who has been prophesied the one who is predicted the suffering servant, however different authors have done it in the prophetic literature, we want that connection to be clear to children. And so we want them to see that there, there's not a, a different God between the two Testaments, right? We don't want them to see that there's a different story, that there's, a, that there's this, uh, uh, you know, discontinuity. So we want them to be able to pick up and see these things and how it points to uh, Christ. So, and again, I just opened one of them, even Malachi, you know, one of, the, one of the verses, so we went back to the original text, we're wrestling with the Hebrew, and one of the verses, and depends on the translation you go with, um, the, the way we decided to render it says, but for you who revere my name, the son of righteousness will rise with healing wings. That son of righteousness, in some of your translations, is even capitalized, because this is a prophetic picture of the coming one. The son of righteousness will, will rise with healing wings, and so we're going to say that. We're going to end like in some of the ones um, uh, end like so, for example, 
Nahum ends with a question. So our children's book ends with a question. Jonah, so uh, the, the opening of um, Jonah is, and it happened. That's the first words in Hebrew, as is many of the Old Testament books, right? Um, and so that's how we opened up the children's book. And it happened. And we get right into the story. So again, I really would want readers and or listeners to know the amount of work and detail that went into these because we want them to be helpful to excite the excite people about this area of scripture. Because Chris, I love your question. We want to show them how it all points to Jesus Christ. Could you talk a little bit about the selectivity that goes into this? Because you know, you mentioned a moment ago that one of the problems with like how Jonah is often treated is we don't really get chapter four, right? It's sort of like, oh, Nineveh repents, and that's sort of the end of the story. But of course, it's not because there's still work going on inside Jonah that that needs yeah. to be uh, uh, narrated to us. Um, what about the selectivity process for you all as you're thinking about what what to communicate and how? I mean, obviously, you're describing a very robust process. Uh, yeah. It's really neat neat to hear kind of, you know, you you lifting up the hood and kind of describing, you know, how how this engine works. it's 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 really cool. Um, but what about selectivity? Because you, obviously you're not just reproducing the text. Um, right. You have to make decisions. Can you talk to us about that process? No, absolutely. So in one sense, we're first and foremost going to go to the primary text and we're going to draw out from it what we draw out from it. We're going to see for some themes, we're going to see repeated phrases, words, and all that stuff that we've already been talking about. But then certainly we're going to then also go to secondary literature, right? And so we're going to start seeing, you know, again, there's a number of people who have spent decades on these books and we're going to say, what are the themes? What are the things that they've seen? What are the things you almost, you can't deal with you know, Joel, without dealing with the day of the Lord. So if that's not in the children's book, there's a problem. And so some of the decisions we made were, we really are trying to accurately, clearly, and in an engaging way represent these books. But like you said, you certainly can't cover them all. And one of the things, as you know, in publishing is, you know, um, we would love them to not have to all be the same length because all the minor prophets aren't the same length. So for example, Obadiah, you're like, oh, that's that's easy to write a 30-page kids book in. But try that with Hosea, try that with Amos. And so um, even, even as I was mentioned, Kevin DeYoung and his gave two whole chapters to Amos, right? And so it's going to be difficult, I think, these final four, because they're the longest. We actually started writing and we dealt with the, the shortest ones first. And then we, we, we went from there. Uh, so the final four are the, four, the longest, but the publisher wants them to all be consistent. So I think your question is going to come up a lot in these next six months as we're trying to finalize and write uh, these next, these last four, because I think it's going to be a lot harder than the first, the first eight. So I think, you know, if you look at a chapter, so if we say the publisher has said you have this amount of spreads, Okay, so you have this amount of spreads. So then sometimes we'll say, well, let's divide up the chapters and say, how much attention can we give to each? How many spreads does each chapter get? Does that make sense? So we want equal coverage, if equal coverage is the emphasis in, 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 the, in the minor profit. And so those are some of the ways in which we've been trying to process it. So, um, so like for Amos, I can't remember exactly the math. I feel like they said, you'll have 40 spreads so if you divide that by the number of chapters, I feel like we will have a spread, uh, two spreads per chapter, something like that. I forget how, however, their you know margins, everything work out. But 
the point is, so then we're going to look at each chapter. Of course, if there's ones that are, this is the prophetic, you know, some of the prophetic language in, in, pointing to the Messiah, we might give that more coverage than, you know, so it just depends. And each minor prophet's different, so it doesn't all work out that way. That That's just one. I'm just giving you some of the thought process that we've been toying with and wrestling with, but there hasn't been like one size fits all. It's just been kind of like a little bit here, a little bit here. Or as we're getting into some of the secondary literature and we're saying, oh, here's a, a very uh, technical, difficult area that we need to spend a lot more time in, or may, does this influence our understanding of the book? And so all this we're wrestling with and just kind of going back and forth on it. Is there some discussion too about, you know, maybe you don't include it in the text, but you include it in the images so that yes. so that you're able to cover more ground because you can visually represent some things that, you know, you might, you know, not be able to include in the text. A hundred percent. And I'm glad you said it because I would have forgotten. Yes. And so that's what we've been trying to do, working with the illustrator. So when we send the spreads to the illustrator, we've often, we've also, besides just saying, here's some, some archaeology behind these images, if we have any, or what, what could help, here's what an Assyrian relief looks like, here's what, you know, some of the soldiers might have been wearing, but beyond that, we're also saying, hey, could you help us here, we didn't get to include this in the text, could you have these animals in the background, or this, you know, and again, we got to keep the, our audience in mind, we want it to be engaging in, in, to the kids as well, but our priority is that it's accurate and clear, um, you know, because you can be engaging and then it's not accurate or clear and who cares. Right. So, yeah. Uh, Brian, I'm hoping we could take a, a bit of a step back and and just talk about um, Bible literacy um, more generally, especially with uh, our little ones. Um, the minor prophets and the gap there is is one thing, but, um, you know, there's there's. Um, a lot of the rest of the Old Testament and the Bible as a whole that um, um, just quite frankly don't um, have have a strong uh, grasp on on our, our young folks, even our young folks that go to church. Um, I'm wondering, obviously, I know that this is part of what makes you tick. I, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on uh, both the problem, but also the uh, the prescription things that you could recommend um, parents and uh, church Sunday school folks to uh, to engage in to, to no. help address it. I mean, in one sense, in my heart as a father of five, that's where the rubber meets the road. That that is my heart behind it. So, and John would know this is you know my PhD dissertation was on communal reading in the first century, and so this covered all sorts of you know who was reading what and where in the first century. And one ancient Jewish text that really struck me as I was doing my research was a mother, and, and I'll tell you the book in a minute, or I'll tell it to you now because your, your listeners will already know, four Maccabees. So you have this mother addressing her seven children about the death of her father. And what she's doing is talking about he at home, reading scripture, singing scripture, doing everything he could to help his children grow up and understand Torah, understand the, you know, um, and not just Torah, but understand the books of the Old Testament or the Tanakh. And so as he was doing that, he was memorialized for doing that. And so I would say to parents today, again, read to your children, right? And so what does this look like? How do you invite your children into the relationship that you have with God, well, we must model it for them. We must model our love for the scriptures. We might, we've got to model the habit of reading, connecting God's word to every aspect of our lives. 
And so as this father did it to his, and this was back in the first century, fathers can still do that today in the, in the 21st century. And so as they do that, I think helping children understand here are the glorious purposes of God. Here's how it, how, what it means for the nations, for the peoples all over the world, and paint a picture of God's plan for the future. God intends for his salvation to reach the ends of the earth. And so here, look at, look at this nuance and look at this. Look at how this word's repeated. So as you're drawing them in, as they're seeing your love for it, it's contagious. You know, I even with my kids sometimes say, what are you going to do if you go to heaven and Habakkuk comes up to you and says, what do you think of my book? What are you going to say if you don't know it? And so then they giggle and they laugh and then they want to know it because they want to be able to tell Habakkuk when he comes up to him and says, what do you think of my book? They have something to say. So you can make it fun. You can make it engaging. You can ask basic questions, who, what, when, where, why, but highlighting the things that you've already known because of your study or your reading and helping them connect it in their reading. And so I'd say Jesus modeled this, right? Using all the prophets to teach about himself, Luke 24. The early church did it likewise using the prophets in Acts 10. So did Christian families in the first century, 2 Timothy 3. I mean, so you have all these passages that are showing us exactly how to do it. I think we just need to get back to doing it. And so if I was a church leader, I'd say, what are you doing in your church to show that this is a focus? This is an emphasis that we want to be a bookish culture, a bookish community, just like Jude was. So we want to be able to know literature, not just our Bibles, but outside of our Bibles. We want to be able to. So that needs to be an emphasis from in churches. There needs to be reading lists produced. There needs to be. An, so I think there's a number of things. And so having written the book on communal reading, it was almost a natural segue into just the season of life I'm in with children, with my five children to, to do this minor prophet series in children's books. And so a lot of people are saying, hey, you've done this academic stuff. Why children's books? Well, it's just the season of life I'm in right now. And I, I care about my kids and I want them to understand this, not just daddy's off in his, you know, in his library, writing his books on this stuff. Yeah, no, that's really helpful. And I think, um, I think the emphasis on reading um, in community, um, I think um, really does, does, does address something that, that uh, is just in the heart of scripture itself, which is there's questions that, that, um, that need to be talked through. Um, rather yeah. than just sort of these private individual readings, um, yeah. I, I, you know, I have I have teens, and and um, I'm in youth group ministry, and so, um, you know, the communal reading it still works at that age group too, because you know now we get to, um, you know, maybe not do the story so much, but really just um, you know look at uh, parts of scripture that that have these questions. And these questions that don't necessarily have easy answers, but they're questions that need a group to talk through. And I think that communal reading does, does, you know, really address that. Absolutely. I mean, I hundred percent believe that and, and, and could even argue it historically. <laughs> and so it, it needs to happen. It did happen. And, you know, and I'd even say, again, looking at the minor prophets, I mean, think of a men's conference coming up. Let's say you're at a church and a men's conference is coming up and you're like, where do I go? Well, why not go to Zephaniah, who talks about the men becoming the dregs of the wine, becoming lazy, becoming complacent? I mean, that'll preach, right? I mean, think of youth ministry. You're about to go teach somewhere. Well, what about taking Zechariah's message and saying, return to me that I may return to you and being able to offer salvation. Sin separates from God and provokes God's judgment, just like we see in the, in the days of Zechariah. 
And so sin is the source of all your suffering, of all the death, of, and yet our diabolical enemy, fallen nature, and this wicked world constantly tempt us to sin, just like it did back then. And so, and again, you can just see how it goes and it flows. And so now they're understanding the prophets. And then, but here's the hope, Jesus Christ. And so again, I just think it's such a rich portion of our Bible that there could be a number of things that come from this in a very fruitful way, men's ministry, children's ministry, women's I mean, so we could go on and on. <laughs> you know, I, I actually think of, uh, I, I know you like Amos, and it just came to me, uh, I thought of a good women's conference just now, uh, uh, John, you know, when he calls them the uh, cows of Bashan. <laughs> yeah, who, who wants to go speak to a group of Jewish women and calls them the, call them the cows of Bashan, right? And so anyways, there, there's a number of things in the minor prophets and, and they have their oils, they have their ivory beds, they have their luxuries. So anyways, boy, there's some conferences that could come out of the minor prophets. <laughs> well, yeah. And speaking of the socioeconomic critique of Amos, there's a lot of a lot of conferences that could come out of the minor prophets that at least people in North America would not be uh ready to hear and receive and and pr presumably people in ancient Israel weren't ready to hear right. and, and receive and you know that that makes me think of a question that I have too about the um sort of age appropriate questions as as you're making children's bibles so you know the 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 the, the material in the minor prophets you know isn't as um scandalous as say like Ezekiel for example right um but you do have a lot of doom and gloom, you know, there's, there's images of restoration and, and hope, like you mentioned, but for example, Amos, right. You have to get to the very end of Amos to get that. And, and for, for many reasons, you know, people have thought that maybe that last little bit was added later because it's too hopeful. It doesn't sound like Amos, right. There's this famous, famous line from Wellhausen that by the time you get to the end of Amos, you've gone to roses and lavender instead of blood and iron but he says it in german so it sounds way more intense oh, than yeah that. that's right that's right uh, but but amos is so intense and 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 i i it's one of the reasons i love amos because he just doesn't hold any punches um but yeah so this this issue of of age appropriateness how do you convey the kind of i mean you mentioned sin just a moment ago you know there's op, there's obvious ways to maybe kind of um generalize the issues of like judgment and stuff like that but like how how do, how do you how do you guys go about dealing with the very heavy subject matter and you know just to, to just to to add the subject matter might be part of the reason why it's uh, ignored right one of the reasons why people don't don't know the minor prophets so much is because of the imagery of judgment uh that doesn't sound fun uh you know <laughs> doesn't sound like fun reading yeah. Well, and, and again, all the more uh, uh, way in which it andies up the gospel. So, um, but I would say this, you know, uh, I, just when you said that, I just thought of a, a commentary, two, two commenta commentators, commentaries on the book of Ecclesiastes. And so here's another doom and gloom, right? So take this one, black and white, right? So here's just a commentary, a time to be born, a time to die. But then you look at their kidners and here's a sunshine. So, well, which one is it, right? Well, how are you reading it? And so in one sense, I think, again, it's a way you share, a way you communicate. Now, that's not to say the minor prophets are coming hard and they're coming strong. And like you said, there's doom and gloom, but that's where you're going to show the hope. That's where you're going to show the light. That's where you're going to show the opportunity that, you know what, 
let me tell you about Jesus now points to the one that's going to. So I think it's all the more important that we're sharing those. And again, to say on the age appropriateness and, uh, you know, I'd say maybe uh, Jose would be on par a little bit with scandalous stuff on how and on on how, you know, we're going to communicate it to to uh, to children. But um, and that's one of the last four. So pray for us. But uh, we don't know yet. But I, I will say this. If, if it's in the scripture, I'm not trying to hide my kids from it. You know, the, the, we really live in a fallen world and there really is death and disease and torture and immorality and all sorts of, you know, covetedness and, and greed. And so I don't want to hide my kids from the realities of, of it. So yeah, there was a reason why the Jews didn't teach Song of Solomon early on to kids. Well, but at the same time, is there a rightness to, oh, you can't get to these books of the Bible until you're this age. So I don't hold that view. I, I don't think history has shown that that's a, a wise or healthy way to hide things or to not cover it. And so we're going to cover the text as, as the text goes, but we do need to, but we are thinking of it in an age appropriate way, more so with words we're using. And so I'll tell you, you know, uh, as a professor and your professor as well, you know, I think there needs to be a class where at least one assignment, let's say you're teaching Romans, there needs to be just one assignment that everyone has to pick any chapter in Romans and write, write, uh, share a message with a four, you know, a four-year-old. So it's just hard. And so I'd say some of this writing of, ch of children's book has been actually even harder than my academic writings because it's, boy, you really got to say, how can I communicate this theme? How can I help them understand this word? How can I bring it to life, engaging, but make it clear that they, they get it. And so I'll give you one example. So, um, cause I, I hope giving examples out of the books is, is, is this will help answer your question. So in Habakkuk, you know, Habakkuk asks, you know, God, some questions. I remember the first time I was reading a draft to my kids and the way they responded was exactly in my opinion, how Habakkuk is, was meant to be taken from the original audience. So here's the children's book as we had it. Help, bad people are hurting others everywhere. Aren't you gonna do anything about it? Aren't you listening to me? How long are you gonna let this go on? And my kids, their eyes went open and they said, you can't talk to God like that. And I was like, when they said that, I was like, that's exactly right. These are bold questions, but did God get angry with Habakkuk? No, because he knew Habakkuk's heart. And these were, so when you get into telling and communicating the kids, we want it to be strong. If Habakkuk is being strong, we want it to be strong. But we, but in the children's book, we help, help them understand that as it's going on. These are bold questions and he's not happy camper, right? He's crying out to God. You know, maybe I'm not using the right words. Uh, you know, here's a bunch of synonyms. Maybe I'll try something else. So there's a lot going on. And so we're hoping that these books will, will help help parents to communicate them in that balanced way in an age appropriate way. I love that idea of, of the assignment of, you know, try to explain this passage of Romans to a four-year-old. It, it reminds me of something that C.S. Lewis said about how you don't really know a subject until you can explain it to a six-year-old. And so I just, I just yep. think that's a, a really great, a really great idea for an assignment that I might use. There you go. There you go. <laughs> You know, so another thing that um, I'm interested in, in terms of producing this series is, you know, adapting the prophetic material, which is 
so often poetic in nature uh, to the the genre of narrative and and you know a, a children's narrative that you know Jonah lends itself to that because it is narrative. Um, yeah. There's poetry embedded in there, like Jonah's prayer when he's in the whale, for example. But so much of the Minor Prophets uh, is poetic in nature, and, and you know as I think about like. How I would how I would go about this, like I I can see like for example in Haggai like a, a, a an an obvious kind of like progression of Haggai's complaints, and I could I could sort of envision you know an implicit story there. But some of the other ones, um, at least right now, I'm super curious. Like, how do you create a story out of that? So yeah. can you talk to us about adapting the prophetic material to children's narrative? Yeah, absolutely. And, and great question. And, and it does play along with the genre. And so, so for example, and again, I'm, I'm going to try to give specific examples for your listeners from the actual uh, children's book series itself. So let's take, for example, Habakkuk's, uh, we, we titled it Habakkuk's Song, because as you know, Habakkuk ends with a song, with a, a prophetic word, but he does it in, in, a, in a sense of poetry. And so we wanted to also produce a song that is rhyming. And so, for example, how we end was after writing down God's five songs, Habakkuk wrote a song of his own. It was a song praising God for how wonderful he is and for all he's done for his children. And then we get into the song. And so I'll just give um, maybe maybe two little uh, two or three little lines of it. But so because the chapter ends with a song, we're going to end with a song. I've heard about you, Lord, and I'm awed by all you do. Please save us in our need and in in your mercy now renew. I see God coming for us like the rising of the sun and mountains quake before him, for he is the eternal one. You rescued Israel from Egypt with your mighty chariot and bow, and soon you'll crush your enemies just like you did Pharaoh. You go forth to save your people and your anointed one, for you crush the head of the wicked and victory is won. So, and we keep going on. So we go on and we finish it because that's how he ends that is with the genre, with a poem, with a song that he does in his own words, but we did it rhyming. So the kids remember a song at the end, remember a poetic uh, uh, portion at the end of the book. Now, the narrative is not that, but there at the end, does that make sense? And so, and then there's other times where we're trying to match genre or if it's a, a poetic suction or if it's direct speech. So for example, Nahum, so in Nahum, there's a lot of direct speech, direct speech, direct speech. So like you said, how do you chop that up? How do you make it? Here's this story. Well, again, there is a storyline in a sense in Nahum, but we're giving a number of things that are direct speech in order to show this is God talking and this is direct speech. Or we might do things that are that help them uh, learn them or understand them. But remember, that's, and, and I'm, again, so glad you brought it up earlier, was that's where we hope the images are helping out as well. So as the parent is reading this, they're also seeing this progression of the of the uh, illustrations that are saying, huh, wow, I remember seeing this building. Now that building has fallen, right? We, we saw the, this, these warriors coming. Now they've been destroyed, right? So, so anyway, so I, we think the images as well are com- communicating it. Um, and so yeah, I would just say we're getting on to where God comes with the flashlight and he's saying, I'm going to get the, the light out to see the sin in the city. So there's just a lot of images that help us go forward in that narrative and, and help explain it in a way that, you know, reflects the book. Okay, Brian. So uh, 
God willing, everything uh, goes well with the the rest of the series. Um, is there uh, plans for anything next? Uh, are you uh, transitioning to uh, non-kid stuff or are you going to stay in this area? Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you asking that. You know, right now we've still got the final four to do. And so that's first on the docket. Um, I actually just submitted a um, an academic piece to Zondervan uh, Academic uh, back on communal reading and its contribution to ancient literacy. So that'll be coming out here soon. And so that's kind of filled my plate for this year. Uh, as, as a church planning pastor, I don't have a lot of uh, extra time as I used to, um, I, I feel, but so I really don't have anything um, pressing that I feel led to just jump into, but the, how this series has been going um, I have been thinking of maybe even branching out to include some of the other prophets, um, just because they're not they're not as known. And so, because again, we're getting such a great response from parents, from educators, from teachers, from Sunday school leaders about the series. And so that's been kind of the biggest question: is Are you going to branch out and do some more of the prophets? And so we're we're considering it. So that's the only thing that might be forthcoming. Well, that's really cool. When can we expect the final four volumes of God's Daring Dozen to be completed? Um, in stores or on Amazon or, or to be able to purchase probably 2024. Wow. That's a, that's a pretty quick turnaround. That's awesome. Yeah. So that's, that's the goal. And, you know, we'll, we'll see, uh, you know, if we can, if we can get that done, because these last four are, are the, the biggest and the longest ones. And we've got to just speak about, you know, questions of, making decisions over what we were going to select and not, but yeah, we're excited. We're, we're hoping that it'll, you know, end uh, as it is. And what, one other thing that I guess, and to say about it, I, I think it might be one of the only children's book series that we also wanted to go to actually the scholars of these books. So the guys writing the commentator commentaries on them to get endorsements because we wanted them to at least have a look at it, review it and say, you know, is this something you think is appropriate, age appropriate and all the other questions. It's kind of those working in this field. And so that's what we're hoping to do in this series is have a very grounded series uh, for, again, homeschoolers and educators and everything else that they can kind of develop it into whatever type of educational things they want to develop it into. Well, that's fantastic. Uh, Dr. Wright, thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate Appreciate this uh, conversation and hearing about the the wonderful work you're doing in this uh, this book series. No, well, thanks, John. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate y'all having me. And again, uh, appreciate the work you guys are doing and, and just allowing me to be on the podcast today.